Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. If you find yourself somewhere around the midpoint of life, uh, how's it going? Do you feel like you're on track with your goals or are you still playing catch up? Or maybe you're considering some important changes to life. Uh, Wherever you may be in that journey, we want to explore what life is like in the middle years on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around what is the middle life, the middle years. There's no chronological definition. I think it's, (laughs) I've said it's when you send kids to college, then you qualify for middle age. Is that right? What do you think? I don't know. I I don't know if it's chronological, like 40 to 60 sounds pretty much like the middle. I don't know. We'll ask our guests when we get a chance. But the one thing is, I love this idea. Our guest has uh, written in her book, The Middle Matters. This idea of assessing where you're at, what's working, what's not working, and maybe we'll be mature enough to say we've got to make some changes on the things that aren't working. Yeah, and we've all seen train wrecks where people are having kind of a midlife crisis, right? I mean, the stereotypes for that. Um, we're going to get beyond that, though, and think through scripturally what does it mean to be in these middle years. And we have Lisa Jo Baker back with us. She's an author, speaker, and podcast host. Uh, she has a real gift of encouragement, and uh, especially for women. And some good insight for men as well, of course. Uh, She's written a book that's the basis for our conversation called The Middle Matters. Jimmy referenced it. Uh, The subtitle is Why That Extraordinary Life Looks Really Good on You. (laughs) And we've got copies of that here at the ministry. Just stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast or give us a call. Lisa Joe, welcome to Focus again. I'm so happy to be back. It's great. And of course, Jean is merely a teenager. But I thought she could give us some, you know, insights on midlife. Barely in the yeah. middle year. I'm surprised I even thought of this. <laughs> Very good. It's so good to have you here, too. Well, it's always a pleasure being here. It's so much fun. Uh, Lisa Joe. let's ask that question. What is the definition of the midlife, the middle years? Who who are we? I, I'm, I'm guessing it depends on who you ask, right? Mm-hmm. So... I think it could be by age, but it could just be by stage. I've had women that are in their late 20s tell me, I feel like I'm in midlife right now just because I have kids that are so much older that are going into high school or college. And then there are moms who started later in life, and so they might be in their 40s by the time their kids are heading into high school or graduating high school. So, I mean, I do think it's one of those things your internal barometer (laughs) nudges you and you get that feeling. You wake up one morning and you think to yourself, oh, I'm not at the beginning anymore. I'm in the middle. <laughs> That's so true. I think that hit me at 50. That feels like the middle of something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, let's dive into your story, Lisa Joe. Uh, you describe how in these middle years, uh, you tend to be more concerned about the comfort of your clothing rather than the size. <laughs> I know. And that's definitely true even for guys, right? What yeah. fits and what's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I mean, it really hit me one morning when I was going to my closet, and there are a pair of jeans I bought once upon a time in Prague. And my husband and I, I mean, right, that tells you right there. That tells you not, they're not really midlife jeans. But my husband and I had taken a trip, a lost trip, just the two of us before we had kids. And we'd gone to Prague and there was this beautiful little store. I got this pair of jeans and I looked at them and I felt like the jeans were looking back at me and telling me there's not a chance. (laughs) And I thought about those jeans and I thought about trying to fit into them. And instead I reached for a pair of comfy sweatpants um, or different size jeans. And I really in that moment, though, I wasn't sad. I didn't miss that version of myself. 
I had a, a new kind of contentment with the stage I was in now. And I think about this body that grew these three humans that live in my home now and how it has changed <laughs> over the years. And I realized I, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't trade what I have now for those prog jeans. And maybe, listen, maybe one day I'm going to wear those jeans again. I'm, I'm not saying I'm never. You're betting on it. But at the same time, <laughs> there's just a sense of peace with this age and stage I am now. You know, those jeans represent me before I had kids, before I knew what it was like to deal with difficult teenagers, before I'd been married 20 years. So I love those jeans. They tell a love story. But. My sweatpants tell a whole different kind of love story. Gene, are you relating to this? Absolutely. I, absolutely. Every pair of pants I own right now don't have a real zipper. They're oh. just stretchy. Glory, hallelujah. That's practical. Nothing will break. Right? Somebody <laughs> came up with a great idea. Man, forget that. At Lisa Joe, you struggled with the idea of feeling beautiful as a woman since you were a teenager. Mm. Some people are probably hearing an accent. You're from South Africa. Mm-hmm. So speak to that struggle. And so many women. Uh, who have that similar struggle. Sure, because there's all these messages bombarding us from culture about what beauty means, what beauty looks like. There's this one standard of beauty. And I have a daughter, and so after two sons and having a daughter, it suddenly became really important to me to figure out, like, what do I do about this whole beauty conversation? And I wonder if in childhood, a lot of us, Gene, I'd be interested if you've had an experience like this, but when we're little, when we're tweens or teens, we can be shaped by the things people say to us. And I remember being 16 and driving in the car with my mom, and it was the season of Miss South Africa, you know? And I remember telling her, Mom, one day I am going to be Miss South Africa. And she looked over at me with just tenderness and the love of a mom and then said words I wish she could take back. (laughs) She said... Oh, my darling, I think you're beautiful. Just not in that way. Ooh. Yeah, Aww. right? Like, what a zinger. So that stays with you, and it starts to define part of who you are. And having a daughter now, what I've realized is important is that beauty is is in the eye of the heavenly beholder. Like, God names everything that he made good, and he talks about everything being beautiful in Ecclesiastes. And I, now as a mom of a daughter, I remember a moment where when she was a toddler, she was talking about her little tummy. You know how toddlers have, like, a little chubby <laughs> belly? Yes. And she was really worried and concerned about it. And I took her outside, and we have these giant oak trees in our yard. And they're hundreds of years old. But they start with a tiny, chubby little acorn, right? And I showed her the acorn, and I said, this is what your belly is like. Everything God knows that you need to grow is packed into you. And he is going to stretch it up Mm. and grow you into one of these big trees. And none of these trees, I promise you, leans over and whispers to another tree, you know, do these pants make me look xyz like how do you what do you think of this bark like am i okay no these trees are mighty and beautiful and they give us shade and they've lived hundreds of years and they tell long stories about weathering storms and so now when i think about beauty i define it differently i mean sure there are parts of us looking in the mirror that we want to feel comfortable and beautiful but strength kindness joy courage faithfulness all of these are elements of beauty that are packed into that little acorn that's that a great yeah. analogy. We grow out of. Yeah, yes. no, that's really good. What a great way to explain it to a young person, especially. Gene, mm-hmm. what about that? I know that um, the teen years, that can be tough on girls, especially girls. You grew up in Southern California. I mean, it was all about looking perfect, right? Absolutely. It, yes, I think you get those messages, even those of us who didn't grow up with social media, 
that yes, you know who are the the prettiest girls at school and and when I was growing up, thin lips were were popular. <laughs> so, were in. Isn't it funny the yes. things that change over yes. the years? And I had I had the same size of lips when I was <laughs> six years old, so they were big at the time. And I can remember standing in the milk line huh. in elementary school, oh. and a girl in front of me didn't know I was behind her, and said, "Oh, yeah, Jean and Linda have huge lips." Mm. And I so then I, my sixth grade picture. I smiled. I got my lips released <laughs> tiny, but so those things, yes. you know, they, they, they do stick. They yeah. stick. Well, yeah. I'm glad you have lips the way you do. <laughs> well, I love thank your lips. You. Thank you. <laughs> Let me ask you, too. You had this exchange, and again, a lot of this goes to body image, which mm. has captivated so many young people, so many young girls, and that's why we're spending a few moments on it here. But you had that experience with your dad, and mm. you were going to see him, and you hadn't seen him in a while. Right. It was his 70th birthday, I think. Right. And it seemed like in the book you mentioned your first thoughts were about your weight. And he's I know. A- and how sad is it that having not seen him in so long, that's what I would be worried about. It's so no, ridiculous. I mean, I, I think it's common. <laughs> yeah. And I had, you know, part of it is my dad's a doctor. He's very health conscious. He, you know, takes fitness and exercise seriously. And I felt like I'm just going to prepare him. That we're just a little fluffier around the edges, you know. We are carrying some of our stress in our genes, <laughs> and um, so I called him, and I just was like, kind of trying to ease into mentioning that we're coming home a little heavier than than we wish we were. And it was the most beautiful reaction. It really was sort of the antidote to how my mom had responded with my beauty pageant question. He said to me in his beautiful South African British accent. Oh, my darling, no, just come home. The more of you, the better. We can't wait to hug you and hold you. And really, the whole time you're here, we really intend to put a few more pounds on because we've got all your favorite foods planned. (laughs) You know, and it just, I hope people listening are, are not hearing me talk about, this is not a conversation about healthy eating or exercise per se. It's really about healthy viewing of ourselves. And when you are viewed through the, the lens of love like that, which mm-hmm. is really how God sees us too, I think, and you feel so lovable, it changes how you look at yourself in the mirror. Yes. So when I look at the pictures from that trip home, I just see joy. I see delight. I see family. That's yeah. beautiful. It is. And it's a great way to see yourself. Okay. We've kind of looked at the self-image mm. of how we view ourselves and those things that hurt whether it's about your lips or your weight or whatever it might be. Mm. I remember a guy in high school, I was a ninth grader. He was probably 11th grader. I've mentioned this before. He was a big dude, a swimmer. And he turned around in PE class and just hit me right in the sternum <laughs> to the oh. point where it cracked. Oh. And he goes to his friend, he goes, see, this this kid hasn't filled out yet like us. <laughs> and I'm sitting there wheezing, <laughs> you know, about to die. And I'm going, thank you for Ouch. making me your example. <laughs> But it, it, it yeah. happens in that way with the boys, mm-hmm. you know, physique and, yeah. you know, are you buff and built out? And somehow all those feelings follow us all the way oh, through yeah. life. Right. Uh, Lisa Joe, another issue that you mentioned in the book, and this is a little corner turn here, but it's about marriage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we read articles where midlife can take a toll on marriage. Um, you've raised the kids, or you're raising the kids, and they're kind of toward the end. And you're both looking up going, who are you? Right. And, you know, it's unfortunately one of the fastest areas of divorce. 
So when you start to think about feeding your marriage and taking care and tending to your marriage, when you're in that midlife zone, how do you approach your relationship with Pete, your husband? Mm. Well, maybe I'll begin by saying I had read an article in the Huffington Post that I think is sort of a segue between body image and midlife of marriage because it was the teenager quote of the week. And this is what the quote was. My life will never be complete until someone has run through an airport to stop me getting on a plane. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is this trope from all yes. the rom-coms. Right. Which yes. You could never do today anyway because right. TSA yes. would right. never yeah. allow that. <laughs> or get tackled by police before that. But happened. I understand it, right? It ties into all these ideas we have about how we're supposed to look or how we're supposed to be loved. And I remember reading that and thinking, no, just period, full stop, no. That cannot be the end of the story because the problem is with movies is after that moment, the credits roll, right? And you go back to your real life where real love you forget actually lives because after the guy ran through the airport, they have to live 20 years together or 30, 40, (laughs) 50 years and of 50 years of him throwing his socks on the side of the bed every night. Like, where's that love story? And so I remembered writing and thinking about this idea about love in the middle. Like, that's the real love like the love stories that are the beginnings they they're fleeting they're gone in like a heartbeat but then you've got 50 years where are the love stories in the trenches and so for me it has really been having eyes to see what love looks like there I mean there the love story is my husband who chooses to drive the minivan in the heat of summer with the broken air conditioning for me you know or the guy who says oh, don't worry I'll go out at 8:30 and do the late night run and the pickups or the guy who comes home not with roses but with like chocolate covered strawberries or you know uh, that kind of rice or bread that you like, like <laughs> it changes but for me, it has been constantly this the shifting of how we see, because I think there's this emphasis, you know, carpe diem, seize the day. But what if you're too tired to do that? And what if, though, it's about a shift in seeing the day? It's how you see the day. So it isn't about that dash through the airport. Instead, it's the long love story of 40 years in the middle. Yeah. That's good. That's, <laughs> That's good. good. Concentrate on that, Gene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, though. I mean, we're the couple here. So, I mean, what do you think? What in the midlife that we oh. are completing? <laughs> Absolutely. And I do. When you were talking about the airport story, I when Jim and I were first married and he started traveling, I would park the car and go inside and greet him at the gate, which you could do that then. And I did that, I don't know, you know, maybe a year or so. And then (laughs) I started, you know. That's the evolution of your relationship. You get, you get. You park at the curb. Right. right, You you get left at the gate, then it's the curb, and then it's, uh, can't you take your car? Right. (laughs) Or or how about, I didn't know you were going somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how it works. But yes, there are seasons in marriage, and it's not a fairy tale. Right. And yet. God uses it to refine us. Right. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. My favorite thing about Brio is that you can actually absorb stuff from it and learn. Reaching teen girls right where they're at with encouragement to grow in their faith. The stories in the Brio magazine about other people that have gone through things way worse than I have 
is really inspiring and uplifting. Help your teen invite God into her everyday experience with Brio Magazine. Learn more at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Brio Radio. Hi, I'm Jim Daly. The Supreme Court will soon make a significant decision on abortion. How will this impact you? Join me and other pro-life champions, including Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens, on June 14th for Focus on the Family's Sea Life 2022 live stream. Find out how you can respond to this important pro-life moment. Sign up at focusonthefamily.com slash life. That's focusonthefamily.com slash life. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, Lisa Joe, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you wrote it in your book. But I'll lay it out there first. I remember one time a few years ago, Gene said to me, you know, I love you. I just don't like you right now. To which I was like, how could that be? Who, who could not like me? <laughs> I didn't actually say that. I just thought it. Yes, right. <laughs> it's terrible to think that, by the way. Uh, but in your book, you talk about right before you go on a live interview, oh, I think man. Facebook Live yes. or something, you're yelling at Pete. Man, we had... So I gotta, I'm going to out you. <laughs> so what it. was going on with you and had Pete? A, we had a big old fight. So literally like four minutes before I was supposed to go on my Christian living Facebook Live, <laughs> how I, to love your husband. I screamed so hard at him, my throat hurt afterwards. Oh, <laughs> We were in the middle of a doozy of a fight, and I remember actually yelling at him, and now I have to go on TV and be a Christian. I can't believe you're having this fight with me right now. All his fault. That is perfect. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you know, one of the things the book is called The Middle Matters, and the subtitle isn't just why that extraordinary life, it's in parentheses to emphasize the extra, why that mm. extraordinary life looks really good on you. And I think we take for granted the ordinary part and we forget about the extra and that God puts us in families and marriages in order to teach us things about ourselves. So I know nothing better than a marriage to help you see yourself for who you really are, for how God sees you. And I don't mean that in any kind of self-critical way. Instead, it's kind of a discovery of the parts in your story that maybe you hadn't recognized need work. And that conversation that Pete and I had, I use conversation lightly, <laughs> loosely, <laughs> um, but it showed us a lot about how we communicate. And I think what has surprised me is you can be married to someone for 22 years like I have and still learn things about them, their origin story that have shaped how they interact with one another. And so we are big advocates for therapy and counseling. And after some great seasons of that, what we learned is that Peter tends to keep a lot of what's happening with him in his head. And I say all my words out loud. And so the problem can become when there are things happening that I had no idea are happening with him. And then he will approach the conversation as if I know. And then I have to say, I don't live in your head. <laughs> I did not know that that was happening with you. And I say this to young married couples. Again, the trope from the movies is that he will just intuit what it is that you need yes. or want and show yes. up and play music outside your door. <laughs> and I tell young couples, no, if you want that to happen, you will have to explain that to your husband. Yes. Like, my love language is gifts or acts of service or please do X, Y, Z. So I am not kidding you when I tell you we had many fights about how I would 
clean the kitchen or the home, and then no one would notice. And so now what Peter does, even to this day with our teenage children, is he walks in the house, and if it has been cleaned, he stops everything and goes, kids, wow, look at the house. Isn't it awesome? Isn't mom great? Look what she did, because words of affirmation that's, is yeah, one of my love languages. And you're the whole time. Yeah. Yes, but I had to tell him that. You only have like 500 fights before you figure out, yes. oh, I, I have to say words to you so you know what it is mm. that I need to feel loved in this relationship or what you need. You you had a story about your son Micah, your second son, who struggled with reading and mm-hmm. and spelling. Uh, what happened there, and what what did you learn, and what did he learn through that? Well, Gene, he's the one who sounds like your son. <laughs> I always say he pushed as hard against me when he came out as he still does to this day. (laughs) Wow. I mean, he is God's refiner's fire in my life. Um, He's a very unique child, deeply passionate. And because of that, when things are difficult for him, he, he explodes. Like all his feelings are everywhere. And for anyone who's had a kid with any kind of learning disability, it's deeply disheartening because not only are you feeling the pain for your child and you want them to succeed, you are also, as a, just being honest as a parent, experiencing your own dread because you now know when spelling homework begins, it's now going to be like a three-hour marathon of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It was so traumatic. But we've often said that when we invest in our kids, what we need is a team around them. And I needed a teacher on my side. And I went and met with his teacher and I described to her the struggles he's having. I I do this now every year. I write an email explaining to the teacher what we love about Micah. I want to preempt oh, their frustration. I like that. So I share, here are the things that are so great about him. This is why he's going to be your ally in class, because he's so passionate in these areas. And so he had a teacher who finally believed in him, too. And so he stopped saying, I can never do this. And he started saying, I'm, I think I'm going to do this. And he wanted, his goal was to make honor roll in And in order to do that, he had to not fail English and reading (laughs) and spelling. And so I just felt like not failing should be the goal, not making honor roll, right? Right. And um, But we championed him and we cheered him and he just had this growing goal in his life. And um, I was really nervous about it because they would have these assemblies where we would all sit there and then they'd call the names of all the kids who make honor roll for things, which Mm. is a sort of crushing experience if your kid is the one who's always left sitting, always. Five years of school, he was in fourth grade and he was determined to make honor roll. And I remember how hard we worked and how much we believed in him. And then he believed in himself and then his belief in himself became like a runaway train. And I remember he kept telling me, tomorrow, mom, tomorrow we get our report cards. Tomorrow we get our report cards. And I remember being so afraid. Mm. And he told me, we're we're praying. I've been praying this whole time, mom. Like, God is going to, I'm going to make honor roll. Then I felt really worried because what do you tell him? Like, God still loves us and answers prayers, even if you don't make honor roll. (laughs) Like, it's really difficult. And I remember sitting at the bus stop waiting for him the day he was going to get off that bus with his little report card and really talking to God, who is a father also, (laughs) and saying, listen, you better not hurt my kid today, Lord. (laughs) And if if he does not make honor roll, you better give me the words because I'm real worried about it. But I just felt the delight of the Lord. I sat there and waited for this kid and the big yellow school bus pulled up. And he wasn't even off the bus. He was standing on the bottom step, waving this piece of paper above his head, yelling, I made honor roll. (laughs) And I'll just never forget it. And to this day, he's 14 now, and he's still a pretty intense person. But I tell him, 
Honey, how God built you is the reason that when you set your mind to something, you are able to follow through, whether it's honor roll or football or faith. When I look at his journey now or how he champions other kids, all of those things, this is my encouragement to moms of littles who are struggling. That kid who is making you feel like you're never going to sleep again, he's going to change your family one day because Micah is a driving force in our family Mm -hmm. who moves us forward, whether it's adventure or faith or whatever it is he's interested in, that passion just pours out of him. And it is a direct answer to prayer because when he was asleep at night as a toddler, an older mom told me, you need to make his bed your prayer bench. And I kid you not, I would kneel at the side of his bottom bunk bed Put my hands on him and pray for him and tell him, Lord, please, you have to use all of this passion for good. Because if the other side get him, we're, we're really in trouble, Lord. <laughs> and I remember he would wake up sometimes and be like, Mom, uh, what are you doing? And I'd be embarrassed. It's sort of awkward. And then I decided I wasn't embarrassed anymore. And I would tell him, I am praying for you, son. <laughs> I am praying you will be a warrior for God one day. Mm-hmm. And that's just become the beauty of watching these kids that can be so challenging for us, man, in the kingdom of God, he has big plans for them. And I look at Micah now, he's giant. He's 5'11". He comes in every night to hug me before he goes to bed still. And I look look him in his eyes and tell him, son, you amaze me. Like, you amaze me that we're at this place together. I cannot believe who who you are growing into. And I'm so honored to be your mom. And he knows all these stories I've written about him. He has signed off on them. He has read them. He knows. And he laughs because he knows how difficult it was. And yet when I look at the fruit of who God is growing that boy into, it, it's amazing to me. Yeah, that well, is so good. And I, I concur with that, that our strong 21-year-old, we have a beautiful relationship. I think because we are so much alike, I just adore him. And yeah. I light up when he comes over for Sunday night dinner oh. and Wednesday night. And so it, good. it's it can be beautiful. It can It be. will be beautiful. Well, and that's the whole point. And that's why I'm so grateful. And I'm going to keep the conversation going. So let's come back for one more day and continue to talk about these wonderful themes that you have in the Middle Matters book that you wrote. And uh, man, I hope you can get a copy of this. I know where you can get a copy, right here from Focus on the Family. And if you can participate in helping us do ministry, we don't pay shareholders. So everything you give to Focus will send you the book as our way of saying thank you as being part of the ministry. And uh, and then you get to participate in saving lives and helping couples, helping midlife couples, mm-hmm. helping uh, kids do better, just all around. It's, it's a wonderful way to invest in the kingdom. So send a gift today and we'll send you the book as our way of saying thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make a monthly pledge if you're able to. That really helps us uh, smooth out the budget throughout the year. Uh, If you can't do that, a one-time gift is certainly appreciated. Either way, donate and request your copy of Lisa Jo Baker's book, The Middle Matters. Just stop by our website, focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or give us a call, 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Gene, it's so great to have you here, and I'm looking forward to both of you joining us next time. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to it as well. So am I. Thank you. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Clubhouse is really edifying in every part of it. A resource that supports your values. We subscribe to other magazines and every once in a while there will be a story that questions a parent's authority or kids behave in a way that I don't like and we never have that problem with Clubhouse. I can trust it. Learn more about Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Club Radio. Today on Focus on the Family, we're turning back to a conversation that we started last time. It's about the middle years and how you can use that season of transition to assess what's important, what's not, and ways to change your life for the better. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. And Jim, a few quotes about middle age, perhaps, uh, that illustrate (laughs) some of the challenges and humor that people have shared uh, about this time of life. For example, comedian Bob Hope said, middle age is when your age starts to show around your middle. That's a perfect (laughs) example, I guess. I think there's another one. Author Ogden Nash believes middle age is when you're sitting at home on a Saturday night and the telephone rings and you hope it isn't for you. (laughs) How about that one? I've been there for a few years. Leave me alone. Uh, Journalist Earl Wilson observed that middle age is later than you think and sooner than you expect. Well, that's so true. And John, we had a great conversation last time with Lisa Jo Baker and my wife, Jean, which was always good to have her here Mm -hmm. in the studio. And we talked about the challenges in the middle years in the area of Ah, self-identity and who are we and what do we look like and and then into our marriages and our parenting mm-hmm. uh, challenges. If you miss that, uh, go back and listen to it because it, I thought it was really good and it had was. some great content. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue that discussion today. Yeah, and the basis for the conversation is a book that Lisa Joe has written called The Middle Matters, Why That Extraordinary Life Looks Really Good on You. And we have copies of that here. Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Lisa, Joe, and Jean, welcome back. It's so fun to be here. It's great <laughs> to be back. Well, it's good to have you back. And Lisa, Joe, that's probably a good place to start. Why would you do this? Why would you write all this <laughs> in a book about your, really some of your failings? I mean, it's helpful to young moms, that's for sure. Right. I guess I've A two-part answer. One is when I had really little kids, I wrote a book called Surprised by Motherhood. I was here and talked about it here on the show with you. And The Middle Matters is really the sequel in many ways because I realized I had come out of the sleep-deprived toddler making bottles all night long phase and had entered middle school, high school, and looking toward college. And it occurred to me, oh, oh, I'm in the middle (laughs) in every possible way. And I was so surprised to discover how much I was enjoying it. And so in many ways, what I wrote here is a collection of what I like to think of as love letters to ordinary life. Mm. These are essays that celebrate completely mundane things. So your kid doing well on a spelling test, kids that you take to sports practices, you know, the fights you have in your marriage and you work through. That's the stuff that makes a whole life. Movies often take part in those opening credits, but 
there's the whole rest of the 40 years you live together, the middle. And I wanted somebody to write love stories about that. You know, talking about that idea of the formula of Hollywood, right. the one thing that God, I think, has put in our hearts is this idea about heroes. How do we find right. heroes? I mean, Jesus is the ultimate hero, right? right. He saved us through his death. Mm-hmm. How do we encourage our kids uh, to look for the heroes around them? This is something I've especially noticed as my kids are coming into their adulthood now, this longing for heroes, whether it's a sports hero or a movie star or a singer or a YouTube personality. There's this hunger, right, to admire something or someone. And so... First, I'll say this. I think as parents, it's great to take an interest in who our kids' sports heroes are or the YouTube channel they watch that you think is weird. Don't just write it off. Like, sit down. Ask him. And so to me, it's a parenting victory when one of my kids says, hey, do you want to see this YouTube video? And they share it with me. That's part of being invited into their lives. That is gold right there. But then we do this thing where I tell, I ask all of my children, they could tell you this, what does your mom ask you after you show them a YouTube video or played them a song? And they'll roll their eyes and then they'll say these words to you. Mom's going to ask, what is it preaching to you? Because I believe that everything is trying to preach something to you. It's going to preach to you about fame or about beauty or about success. And constantly I want my children to be aware of those messages so that they can dissect them. They can decide, do I want this thing that is being preached to me or not? And then we want to talk about Jesus, the best storyteller of all time, who constantly told people, don't tell anybody about me. (laughs) Don't tell anyone that I did this. But he has these close friends who mess up all of the time. The Gospels is basically a long story about their mess ups that they then share publicly with the rest of us. And I tell my kids, how awesome is this? Because the heroes that you have, they want to appear perfect, like there's nothing wrong with them. And the spotlight is so bright on them. The tricky part is what is happening outside of the spotlight, the, the dark background that we can't see. When they look at themselves in the mirror in the morning, these heroes of yours, who are they coming face to face with? We don't see that darker part. And then sometimes there's a huge news headline, and we do. And so I want them to have heroes that they know are preaching Jesus' truth, kingdom stories. And I still think they can admire people. They can be motivated or moved by people who aren't necessarily believers, as long as they are parsing out (laughs) What, what am I learning from this person, and how does it match up to the story of Jesus? Lisa Joe, uh, you know, looking at Hollywood heroes is one thing. What about ordinary heroes? How do we encourage not only our kids but ourselves to find those ordinary heroes? Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I mean, they live in our houses. I mean, Jean is one sitting next to me yeah. right here. <laughs> I mean, every mom out there. I remember mm-hmm. when I first had kids— and I realized how difficult it was, I didn't understand how when you would see a mom out in public with tiny humans behind her, how they weren't like parades. Why didn't people burst into song? (laughs) Why didn't roses fall from the ceiling? Like I couldn't understand it. So it really does begin with how we see, how we choose to see. And I think about courage a lot, right? Heroism is tied to courage. And we tend to think courage is these big action moments rescuing someone from a burning building or the exploding car or, you know, the kidnapped hostage negotiator, the things we see in movies. 
But I had this unique experience this summer. Both of my brothers, uh, one is 40 and one is 44, and they both have families. Both were diagnosed with cancer this year mm. within 10 days of each other. They live at home in South Africa, and uh, I went home for nearly a month to be with them. And I tell you what, it opens your eyes to what ordinary courage looks like. To me, ordinary courage is the dad who gets up and helps make the breakfast and pack the toddler's backpack and then drives to chemotherapy. I, I just couldn't believe yeah. it. It's my brother Josh, they have four kids under the age of seven, <laughs> and he's having chemo. And I remember his wife, uh, the, she was pregnant with their fourth during his chemo. And the night before she had the baby, they were sitting on the sofa and she was giving him his daily injections to boost his white blood cell count. And I looked at the two of them and I mean, I would have dropped a portrait around them if I could because this is courage in action. I mm, think about absolutely. moms who are patient with difficult children or dads who work the job that doesn't bring them passion, but it brings income for their families. And it really is a matter of adjusting our gaze. So either we can look outward at what the world is telling us heroism and courage looks like and it's glitz and glamour and you know my kids who listen to the music that's rapping about chains and you know diamonds and gold or and these are the conversations I get to have with my kids now we can talk about Uncle Josh and it's become a big conversation point in our house now what courage looks like and it's been interesting to have teenage boys who are very impressionable when it comes to music and YouTubers now hear stories about their uncle and watch their faces as they absorb courage on a visceral level in a way that is actually attainable right because all of us can have that yes. kind of courage but it's so admirable, too. And it has moved them more than any movie I've seen them watch. Yeah, that is something. And Josh, how's he doing? He's doing good. He's doing good. He has a great sense of humor. And ironically, he's a filmmaker. He loves telling stories, too. Yeah. And so when he struggles with his own courage, I, I tell the story back to him of what I see him doing. Oh, that's good. And what I a say, good this sister. is what courage looks like. Man, I see awesome. it in your house. In a Funny side in the book, uh, The Middle Matters, you talk about the friendship mafia. <laughs> that is perfect, man. But describe what the friendship yeah. mafia looks like. I know it's not a bad thing. <laughs> if you've had friends you've known your whole life, then you might know what that feels like. They're the kind of friends who stick like super glue and won't let you out. And there have been seasons where you might want out or you drop off and they hold on to you. Yeah, I went to law school and there are 10 of us that graduated around the same time and have just stayed friends for decades decades. And several of them work for the State Department. So they've lived overseas. We've lived overseas a lot. But somehow, they have maintained this hold on one another where if one kind of drops out of circulation, we call it turtling, you know, one turtles. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody shows up sometimes in person, whether you want them there or not. Mm -hmm. And I have found, I mean, that really is a picture of the body of Christ, right? Like there's no getting out. We love you. We hold on to you whether you want it or not some days. That's amazing. Jean, you've had two close friends since kindergarten and first grade, Moni yes. and Linda. Yes. Talk about that. That friendship that we've had for decades now, I mean, they're more like family. They right. lean a little bit towards family than friends. And you, we've laughed together. We have become Christians together, we've wavered in our faith together, we've gone to each other's weddings and, mm. and funerals of loved ones. And yes, they stick closer than glue, and it's not always easy, and it can be messy. But even to those listening, don't have those longtime friendships. 
I have friendships now also with women that are in town. Right. Those other friends live in, we, we've all lived in different states. But we continue, We at least one of us reaches out mm-hmm. to the other one. Mm-hmm. And... Um, make sure that even if we haven't talked to each other or gotten together for a long time, that we come back around. I have a group of friends here in town, three women that, you know, we hadn't met together regularly for probably five years, and we started that back up. And I've known them, all of them, for over 10 years. And it's just, it's rich. God made us all, whether we're introverts or extroverts, made us for relationship. Mm. And I think especially for women, Mm. it's so important to have those real relationships. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. One in five households cares for a child with special needs. Is yours one of them? If so, we know you want your child to be taken care of no matter what happens. If you want to secure your child's future by preparing a will but need extra guidance for your unique situation, Focus on the Family can help. Download our resource, 15 Questions to Ask If You Have a Child with Special Needs. It's our gift to you at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Special Needs eBook. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Lisa Joe, uh, hospitality is a topic you raise in the book. That can be seasonal, right? Because when you have the littles, as you described, I mean, it's hair on fire. And did <laughs> I even, you know, get my clothes on today? And I'm, I'm still in my pajamas at three o'clock in the afternoon. But hospitality, especially in those middle years, becomes something more doable, if I can say it that way. But you have to have an attitude toward it. Right. And I think even the word hospitality can feel intimidating. It feels like I have to be Pinterest ready now to host people. All the candles burning. Right, right. (laughs) And I always try to remind people we aren't actually looking for perfection. What we want is connection. And I promise you, I feel much more connected to you if I show up and there's a load of laundry that hasn't been folded on the table, right? So perfection is actually a way of distancing. And so Mm. for hospitality, I have replaced that word now and tend to just talk about just opening the door, just open the front door, (laughs) like just are you willing to just open the door? Because if you are, then people will be willing to just stop by. And most people are only as comfortable in your house as you are. So if you're comfortable and you've got a pile of laundry and Cheerios underfoot, guess what? Those (laughs) women are going to feel so comfortable and so grateful that you are willing to let them see your chaos. So hospitality, whatever you want to call it. Yes. I mean, it's in all stages. It's so life-giving. I love that. Cheerios underfoot. Yeah, I mean, and I still <laughs> Sounds like have such them. a military term. <laughs> Cheerios <laughs> underfoot. Oh, my gosh. The crushed into Legos. tiny crumbs Cheerios <laughs> underfoot. That was a progression for you, Jean. I think, I mean, I oh. think in the early years, you, you wanted everything perfect before you could have somebody over. I wanted it perfect and then, and and wouldn't have people over. Mm. And then when I started having people in opening that front door, Things were always hidden. So it <laughs> yes, looked I've done that. perfect. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? Well, <laughs> well, I knew where all those hidden well, spots it were. Look at this I, it depends. It, that wasn't good for me. Hmm. And then I became just more comfortable with right. myself and, and recognizing that I don't feel good 
when I go to someone's house and it's perfect and they're perfect and the food is perfect, that makes me feel less than. Right. I love going to someone's house that there are dirty dishes in the sink and there are some toys over in the corner. So I now... Uh, I really Burn the toast on purpose. You, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But it's such I, a blessing. Yeah. No, that I leave the piles on yeah. the secretary. I don't hide those anymore. Yes. I mean, maybe I hide a few things still, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I'm spilling the beans, man. If you don't, I'm telling. <laughs> okay, a few things went into the laundry room over the at the Christmas Let's party. Let's talk about but... the garage. <laughs> oh, Isn't that's... that your territory? No, no, no. no, no I've no. been in your that's, garage no. a little bit. It's a different broadcast, a different (laughs) issue, but that feeling comfortable enough with myself and recognizing that truly it is a gift to others to let them come into your home and see that it's not perfect. But let me ask you, Lisa Joe, about the faith component of that hospitality. Mm. What's that spiritual transaction going on there when you feel comfortable mm. enough, when the door's wide open, when the sign says, welcome here, right. and you mean it? Right. Well, I think it's really about focus. So either I'm focusing on me, if I want everything perfect, it's about me, right? Mm. Or I'm choosing to focus on others, to love your neighbor. So either I'm thinking who I am, and then it's about what do I reflect? And that then translates to my children. You must look a certain way or behave a certain way because you reflect upon me. Then I become the center of the story. And I really do believe, like, as much as I love a good Pinterest account or Instagram of homes, if we're not careful, it becomes an idol. So an idol is anything we love more than God, anything we put all of our purpose and pleasure into you. And Mm. so if you're home, if you're so worried that you can't have someone over because it isn't perfect enough, then, then you're not offering hospitality anymore. But if you're able to take your eyes off of yourself and you actually see the people that God wants us to see, your neighbors, and you, and you love them enough to let them in, you you just forget about a lot of things to do with yourself, whether it looks perfect or not. And I like to have a pretty home as much as the next girl, right? I sure do. But I tell you what, there are two people, there are two groups of people you can invite into your home and you will never have to worry about how it looks. So if you're trying to cross that threshold and break some of those perfectionist tendencies, here are the two groups of people you can invite. Invite moms of babies or toddlers. They are so tired, they will not notice what your house looks like. (laughs) They're in a coma. They are so happy that somebody else is going to hold that baby and that they can get out of their house. They will not care what you serve them or how your house looks. So I lived that stage, and it is true. The second group I've lived now in the middle is college students. College students, if you invite them over from their dorm, are so happy to be in a home and eat home-cooked meal. You may have, and this has happened to me, we started a tradition every Thanksgiving where we would have kids who were out of towners who weren't going home. They come over for Thanksgiving. I've had like 20 college students. I used to panic because I'd be like, how am I going to feed them all? 20 college student boys, let me just tell you, it's like an army you have to feed. I had a giant six-foot-three boy hug me so hard he lifted me off the ground when he saw that I had made mashed potatoes from scratch and he said Mrs. Baker I might cry I'm so happy about your mashed potatoes and I had so much worry I am listen to me I am not a good cook I am not good at decor 
But I opened the door and those college students came in and they ate everything. <laughs> they sat on our furniture. They played football in the yard. They kept telling us how they haven't been in a house all semester and how wonderful oh. it is. So if you want to feel good, not about your home, but about yourself, about your heart, about what you have to offer to your neighbor, moms with littles. And college students will do it for you. <laughs> and they weren't Costco potatoes, huh? Those are pretty good. <laughs> oh, I, no, no. I did that the next year. No, Costco potatoes, Costco mac and cheese, ain't no We've shame all in found that, that game. Yes. yes. Lisa Joe, let me ask you, you speak in the book about having this connection with Doubting Thomas. Yeah. Now, I think everybody at some point can say, oh, yeah, I get that. But explain why you feel a, a kindred spirit with Doubting Thomas. I feel defensive and protective of Thomas. I feel like it's the church who subsequently has labeled him Doubting Thomas. Right. The poor guy, you know, (laughs) like Jesus called him his friend. He invites him. He's like, friend, come here and touch these parts of my body. He doesn't reprimand him. He doesn't rebuke him. He does speak a future blessing to those who believe without seeing. But that doesn't diminish the fact that he was completely comfortable showing Thomas, here I am. And so I have such a kinship with that, that there's no shame in the days where we doubt, that we struggle with faith. Those are not days where we have to hide that from the Lord. Instead, guess what? We get to tell him, I'm having some trouble believing today. And then guess what? Jesus is like, okay, friend, here you go. Look, see, touch, feel, experience. I'm here. I'm with you. You you share a story in that regard with your daughter, Zoe, who as she's entering the teen years. Um, yeah, she struggled. She, her faith struggle. I think a lot of parents, a lot of moms are going to lean mm-hmm. in right now because, you know, their 11, 12, 13-year-old might be in that same spot where they're not sure about Jesus. Right. What did you say to her? So she was about six at the time, and I think she's my third, so I have a little experience. I'm not sure if I would have done it as well with my first. So that's of course a, not. That's a caveat. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say... Um, I I do think there's this pressure as Christian parents to sort of feel like we have to brainwash our children into believing, right? Like if they don't believe, that's so bad. Well, and they feel that too. Right. They're smart. Yes, and there's this bad reflection on us. And um, but in our house, we 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 watch a lot of movies. We talk about stories. We try to understand what's being preached to you. So there are lots of conversations happening. We aren't sort of sit down at the table, have your family devotions, people. We're much more. Let's unpack this thing you saw today, or the song you heard or something somebody said and how does the bible story how does the gospel intersect and so we had a morning where we were getting ready for church i was in the shower you know children have no sense of personal space and my daughter (laughs) was in the bathroom like brushing her hair and i got out the shower i'm in my robe doing makeup and she starts talking to me about this is what she said i'm worried mom that what i believe about jesus i've just made up in my head what if it's not true And I I was busy, you know, I was kind of going about my day. So I I think I gave her kind of a throwaway answer at first. It was like, no, I'm sure we all have days like that. It's fine. And then I could tell she was really worried. Like she kind of grabbed my arm, looked at me and Mm. said, no, mom, what if this is just a story I'm making up in my head? And I thought, wow, now there's the million dollar question. I don't know believers who don't at some point wonder about our faith. And so I put down the hairdryer. I remembered vividly, I sat down on the bathroom mat, she sat on my lap, and I looked at her and I said, "It's. I'm so glad you asked me that question. That's a really important question to ask because believing in Jesus isn't something I can do for you. You have to believe in him. He has to be real for you. And I said, so when it comes to Jesus, part of it is 
a, a friendship that you have with him, like Thomas had, right? You will become friends with Jesus, and more and more he and the Holy Spirit, they will show themselves to you. And she said, but what if they don't? What if it doesn't happen? What if they don't? And I said, well, I've had days like that to you. I've had seasons of my life where I worry about that. And when I'm worried about that, what I do is I look around me to see where is there signs of Jesus? Where has he shown up? Have I seen things in my life that are like arrows pointing back to him as truth? And she knows her grandfather was not a good parent. And he's an amazing man now. His story is radically different. And I tell her, you know you know your opa and you know how much you love being with him but you also know some of the stories of how he used to be the only way i can explain that change is if god is real and i said to her my job is not to convince you i don't need to do that but my job is to help you be a good detective to pay attention to all of these clues that the holy spirit puts in your life and to trust if you are willing to have eyes to see, Jesus promises us we will see him. Mm. And that was enough that day. We didn't resolve it. There wasn't a big like, and now I believe, like, let's pray right. the sinner's prayer at all. We had this conversation and she has continued to grow in her relationship with Jesus that has become more and more real. But for me, it was a sense of, of freedom to realize it isn't my job to save Zoe that is the responsibility of Christ and the That's Holy right. Spirit. And as parents, it lifts a huge weight off us. And sure, I mean, I carry her. I want her to know Jesus. But at the end of the day, he loves her and he will woo her much more than I could ever force or demand her. Well, and so typically when you're forcing or demanding, you're actually working against the very mm -hmm. objective that you, you have for your child because, again, right. they sense that. Right. And they, pull, yeah. they withdraw mm -hmm. from that. Right. And it's not productive. Right. Well, this has probably raised a lot of questions for folks. We're at the end of the time, Lisa Joe. Thank you so much for your wonderful book, The Middle Matters. What a winsome approach to the middle years and what to think about and what to work on yeah. to do better, not for the sake of the external appearance, sure. but for the inward heart, the spirit for God. Right. Uh, that we behave in the way we do, not for the the stickers, but for our love for him. Right. He's always inviting us to a deeper level of wholeness. And it's so good. So thank you. And Jean, thank you for being with us. It's always good to have you here. Well, it was great being here. And I'm excited about the content in your book, Lisa Joe, and the content that we discussed today. This is great information, very helpful information for especially young moms or moms who are in the middle. Right. I think it's a great point. And if you are uh, that person or if you know somebody, get a copy of the book from us here at Focus on the Family. Uh, just be a part of the ministry. Uh, make a gift of any amount. If you can do that monthly, that really helps. Uh, $10, $15 if you can do that. If not, a one-time gift is great too. And we'll send you a copy of Lisa Joe's book as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. Yeah, donate as you can and request Lisa Joe's book. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. And uh, online, you can find us at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And of course, uh, we're here ready to help regardless of where you're at in your journey with Jesus or as a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad. Please contact us if we can be of any assistance to you. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.